Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. What is up, my brethren? How we doing, man? Listen, before I tell you about today's episode, I want to bring up a couple of things about the podcast because there are a loyal amount of people who listen to this, and I figured it would be beneficial if you guys know what I'm doing with the show and where I need your help. So, essentially, I want to get in a position in my career where I can make bigger movies, produce bigger movies, and be in bigger movies. That's my goal. I don't know how long it's going to take, and I honestly don't always know how to get there. But I do like using the podcast as a resource to meet not only people in the film and TV industry, but also to meet tons and tons of cool people. The podcast doesn't pay any bills. I really do it because I love meeting cool people, and I like interviewing people and sharing conversations. And this is all I ask of you guys. And I really mean this though. If you guys get any sort of value from the show, I mean anything. These are really good interviews. I know they're good. I have great guests on. We ask great questions. They're entertaining. This is a very good podcast. And so all I ask is if you get any sort of value from the podcast, I mean anything. Just share it with a friend. I've been saying it forever, but the growth of this podcast and this brand is incredibly important to me and I want to reach the next step in my career and I am so down to give you guys as much fucking value as possible over the next 10, 20, 30 years. All I need you to do is just, if you like the episode, share it with a friend. And if you think I don't come through with good, with a good guest, a good interview, good content, then say, fuck you, Bonnie. I don't want to hear it. But if you do, please, that would be a huge help to me. Um, Again, I'm not out here pushing ads. We're not making millions off the podcast. I just want to provide good stuff for people. And I know I'm in a position to do that and to get a lot of cool people on the show. So all I'm asking from you guys is please just share this shit with a motherfucking friend. Now that my rant is over, today we had an ultra runner on the podcast. Another one? Didn't you have one last week? No, we had a race director last week. This week, we had a guy named Andrew Glaze. Now, you're going to hear Andrew talk about his running, but I just, and he he's very casual about it, but I just want to dissect some of the things he said. This guy runs 8,000 miles a year. 8,000 miles a year. That's about 600 to 700 miles a month. He runs a minimum of 100 miles a week, but mostly it's 150 to 200 miles a week. It is insane what he is doing. And he also works a full-time job as a firefighter and has a family. This is one of those types of stories and one of the types of dudes where you're like, whoa, there are absolute mutants among us. He's one of those guys. And I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I tried my best to there's a lot of running talk in there. And so I tried my best to kind of dissect some of the running talk that not the average person would understand. Like there's just a lot of running quotes and races and terms and stuff. But, um, I tried to just keep it base level with him. 
and he's just he was a really nice guy and he what he does is insane and you'll hear how I was introduced to him right at the start of this episode and uh, I really think you guys should follow him just for some crazy content it's at am glaze but with that being said I hope you guys enjoy the episode it would mean the world to me if you shared it with a friend if you do if not again big f you to Bonnie you can leave a comment on my Instagram I don't care now with that being said I'm back to the hustle back to growing the brand let's get this motherfucking bread baby Andrew Glaze. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I uh, I had just seen on your Instagram that it's your birthday coming up. Yeah, tomorrow. I'm going to be uh, 44. How does that hey, feel? Man. Yeah, feels old. Feels real well, dude, old. I was having this conversation with Chris Kostman, too. I was like, how come endurance runners really hit their stride in their mid 40s like you would think it's a sport dominated by dudes in their 20s but it's like guys your age are the ones that are really starting to hit the pinnacle yeah i I think a lot of it has just has to do with you know there's a a pretty steep learning curve as far as what your body needs and wants and the guys that go really hard and that are really talented fast runners they sort of burn out after you know short periods of time and go do other things like you know, have families and jobs and stuff like that. And people in their forties and fifties, like we have jobs, we have families. Most of our families are a little older. So uh, we've settled into a routine and it's, it's easier for us to like maybe juggle all the, the time management issues. Whereas like, if you're 25 and you're just starting a family, you know, that, that that's kind of hard to put in all the hours that you need to train to be a superstar ultra runner. Well, do you think you're more patient now than you were when you were 26? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm more patient now than I was when I was 36. You know, I used to, I used to run ultras like, you know, Prefontaine used to preach. I used to like literally go out as hard as I could and just hope I didn't burn up. And a lot of times I did. Um, My old philosophy used to be that I would try to get to the pain cave as fast as possible because once I was there, then I was at least like comfortable. But then, you know, a lot of times your body would just give up about mile 75 or 80. Um, and it was like hard to, and then I just limp my way to the end. Um, you know, every once in a while you'd have that perfect race where pushing hard the whole time worked out, but most of the time it did not work out. And now, you know, running with uh, Ray Sanchez a lot, who's like, I think he's like 56 or something. He's taught me a lot about being patient. Um, really taking the first like 50 or so miles very very slow and then sort of like ending ending strong and it's it's what's worked out well so um i'm gonna keep doing it until i figure out something else that works so now when you say you started ultras actually before we even dive into it can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do for anyone that's going to listen to this okay sure so um my name is andy glaze uh I am a fire captain and I, I suppose ultra runner. Um, right now I'm in the middle of a, uh, or maybe the end or the beginning of a running streak where I've been running over hundred miles a week for 101 weeks. So, um, and that translates to over 8,000 miles a year for the last couple of years. So um, really high mileage, but like 
I do it at a pretty slow pace, uh, zone two or three, and uh, just kind of grind away. Done a lot of ultras. I mean, not as many as a lot of people, but uh, I try to do harder ultras and um, really challenge myself. I love mountain ultras. Um, I mean, I, I guess I guess that's it. I love running and I love talking about running. So, let me I, give I a quick preface to anyone that's tuning into this, which I had told you on the phone. So. I was in such an unbelievable casket after the cold water rumble. I went right. to the hospital. I So as soon, even 10 seconds within crossing the finish line, I knew from 75 to 100 that if I sat down, I was going to fall apart. I knew it. I, so I didn't stop at any aid stations for the last 25, and I just kept going. And my, my pacer, he crewed me a bunch, and he would go get the water, the electrolytes, whatever we needed. And I go to the hospital get rhabdo. My pee looks like orange soda for like six days. I have no skin on my foot. I am in a casket. And I'm looking at all the people who finished the cold water. And so I follow you on Strava. And dude, I couldn't walk for three, four days following the 100. And I'm looking at your data. And I'm like, wait, this dude just ran a half marathon, not even a day after the 100. And I'm like, what is this dude on? This is insane. And so then I started diving into some of your Strava data and your content. And it's just like, it seems like you've wired your body to just be a machine like this. Now, how long has the evolution of your physical fitness been? When did this really start for you? Uh, I mean, I, I, are you talking on this like ultra level or I'm doing these high miles or just like my physical fitness in general? Let's say when you started really getting into running first marathon, first half marathon. Okay. So, I mean, probably about 20 years ago, um, I took a college class on exercise science and, uh, like I had to run a mile and a half and it was like, a terrible experience and I like literally couldn't sit down for like a week and thought to myself man I never want to feel like this again so I just like just kept running to try to never experience that again um and that's where it kind of started like 20 years ago and then naturally sort of progressed into racing you know 5k's 10k's I got I got really into like half marathons for a while I really really liked that distance um and I did a lot of triathlons. Uh, I really liked those for a while. Um, just sort of like endurance type activities I got really, really into. And, and the thing is, is when I started this journey, I was a very unhealthy 20 something year old, um, heavy cigarette smoker. And I sort of used exercise as a way to quit smoking. Um, just, just unhealthy in general, didn't, didn't, didn't live a good lifestyle. And so uh, I went from like one extreme of being very unhealthy to the opposite extreme of, you know, being very physically fit. Um, so the, the takeaway from that is it's never too late to, you know, to start, you know, I mean, you, you probably wouldn't think of me as somebody that used to smoke two packs a day for multiple, multiple days. I mean, years. Um, and yet here I am running hundred mile races. So well, you know. well, truthfully, it doesn't really surprise me because <laughs> you just, well, you have the the addictive genetic as a lot of people in the sport do. So like, were you ever real, were you ever a big drinker or like, do you do drugs ever? Uh, you know, not, I mean, kind of like when I was a, a young kid, you know, like any, any young kid, I got into all that nonsense and 
my parents sent me away and I got, I got myself straight, but, um, you know, not, not like it, not really as an adult, but as a kid, I, I was a bad kid. So, you know, um, but I, I, I do have an addictive personality for sure. Anything I do, I tend to do 110%. And if I don't like it, I don't do it. And if I love it, then I do it so, so much that it, it gets a little ridiculous. So, and, and like so, I said, like triathlons and when I did triathlons, it was like, I did a million of them. Then I got really into OCR and I did a million, I think I did 66 Tough Mudders, um, you know, because I loved them. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to do as many as I, as I possibly can. And then I got in, well, I mean, I got into ultras doing the Tough Mudders and um, I've done a, I've done a fair amount of ultras, but I do a lot of like sort of self-supported ultra stuff because it's easier for my schedule. I don't have to wait for the weekends and everything. And I sort of like running long distance, but not necessarily in a race format. So, um, yeah, I'd say the the long, long distance stuff, I've been doing it for maybe like seven years. Um, I've only run one marathon. It was uh, the New York city marathon. I happened to win the lottery. I ran, I I read this uh, Murakami book. I don't know. It's like his book on running. I can't think of what it's called, but he talks all about the New York city marathon. And I got like super inspired and I was like, I'm going to enter the lottery. And then I won the first year I entered, which is like unheard of. It's like 3% chance. So I went and ran that. And uh, I'm not. Was this pre-ultra days or was this? No, I didn't actually in the middle of a bunch of ultras. Like, I think I ran, I ran an ultra. Then I flew out and did the New York City Marathon. Then I came back and I did the quad dipsy, which is a race up in San Francisco. Then I did a. Then I did the 24 hour tough mutter. And then I did uh, like a 50 mile race up in San Francisco, all back to back to back. So um, yeah, I just threw it in. I, I didn't train for it at all. And that's the only marathon I've ever run. So other than, you know, daily marathons that I run all the time, but like organized marathon, yeah. um, that's the only one. So not really. How did, a, a, how did you perform? I, I think I got like a three, 33 or something. I was shooting for a 330 and um I think like the last mile or so I sort of fell apart there. Um but you know, I had run a 50 miler the the week before. So, you know, like I said, I didn't train any speed or anything like that. I just went out there and just the adrenaline of the moment got me running faster than I normally do. So, for sure. Yeah, I um I it's a question that like I think a lot of people who don't understand the distinction between athletes in the ultra world and the normal marathon world, a lot of people don't understand, like no one is really that fast in the ultra world, you know? Nah. And so three thirty is a pretty impressive marathon for a guy who goes out and I mean, I'm sure you run like 10 minute, 11, 12 minute miles all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I basically train how I want to run in a hundred mile race. That's, that's how I, I think of it. Cause if you run, you know, if you ran a 10, I think like a 1030 mile for a hundred miles, that's like, I think that's like an 1830 hundred mile race, which is, you know, pretty incredible for the average person. So, you know, if, if I can maintain somewhere around 10, 11 minute miles, then, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. And, and if I fall apart, I'll still probably get sub 24. So that that's good too. I mean, that's always the golden rule, right? To try to do sub 24. Yeah. That's, I think another thing people don't really understand about the ultra world. That's kind of like a, 
it's like the same thing of achieving a sub four hour marathon. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's a goal to go shoot for that. Most people want to perform at, but I mean, it obviously depends on the course you're running on to, if that's even feasible. Um, sure. I mean, I've run a lot of, you know, UTMB I ran in 36 hours. So, <laughs> you know, it really depends uh, on what you're running. So were you like an incredibly rambunctious kid? No, I wouldn't say not like physically. I mean, I, I played sports most of my life. I, I was a, I played football. Um, I did a little bit of track and field, but it was mostly like, you know, not nothing serious. But I mean, from a young age, I played football all the way up until varsity. I, and then I just wasn't big enough to like make the varsity team after that. Cause I'm like, I'm six foot and like, you know, well, back then probably like 160 pounds. So just not really big enough to, to be a, a football player and I didn't want to take steroids. So, uh, but you know, uh, not, not like, not crazy. I mean, I was always athletic. I was always active, things like that, but not, not like nothing special. You know, I don't well, think I, I more I so any... mean like classroom wise, was it very hard for you to sit in a seat and like learn? Uh, I mean, not, not, not just a whole, I was just really bored in school, but not like, I, I don't think I had like the intense ADHD. Um, I was always put in all those like really advanced classes as a young kid. So the teachers tended to teach at a higher level and try to keep us a little bit more focused and, you know, like AP classes and stuff like that. So um, I wasn't just learning the, the, the stuff that everybody else was learning, but yeah, I, I just, yeah, it's just active, just, you know, normal kid, I guess. I, so it just, so it seems like it's just been a pretty like natural, uh, natural progression into your training load. It's just been like what a five, 10 year process to get to this point or. Yeah. I mean, I, when I started running like long distances like this, it wasn't, I, I wasn't, I mean, 50 mile weeks, 70 mile was probably like my max. Um, and I don't know, I just, it's just a slow progression. I, I would take, you know, lots of days off and, and all those sorts of things, cross train. And, um, I mean, where I'm at now is it's taken like everyone, I, I post all this stuff on social media and everyone's like, well, how do you not get injured? How do you do this? How? And it's like, well, you know, like anything, like if you, if you ask like, you know, somebody that just won the Super Bowl, well, how did, how did you get so good at throwing that football? And it's like, well, I've spent years and years and years throwing, you know, I mean, I've, I've spent thousands and thousands of miles running to perfect my form, to perfect, you know, everything about it. And that's how I don't get injured, but I, I don't know how to articulate that in a, you know, three sentence Instagram post, you know, I hear you, but yeah, I mean, it was a very, very slow, uh, progression to get to this point. Actually, I think in, in 2000, 19, 18 or 19, I did 28 weeks in a row of hundred mile weeks, but I was doing like just straight hundred miles. Like now, you know, I do like 150 to 200 miles a week, but like, it was just straight hundred miles a week. It was very, very hard. And, uh, that's when I ended up running bad water and, uh, had like, you know, almost died in bad water. And then that killed that, that streak. Um, so uh, you know, that happened in 2018 and then 2019, I had like a really bad race in Japan where I got stuck in a mudslide and almost died. Really? And, uh, Explain that. that. Pretty... 
So I was doing UTMF, which is Ultra Trail Mount Fuji, which is like the UTMB is uh, Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, which is the real famous race in France. And they they have a bunch of races all over the world. So this one is in Japan and you you run all the way around like Mount Fuji, which is this giant mountain. And uh, yeah, like a monsoon came in and uh, basically I got to the top of this mountain um, like right as it was starting to get dark and right as it was starting to get dark, like this monsoon hit and it just started pouring rain and we were trying to go down this very steep, rugged trail and the whole mountain just gave away and it was just like a mudslide. And it took me, I think, seven hours to, to go like two or three miles off this mountain. And like literally, I, I really thought I was going to die. And had like all these really intense, you know, talks with myself about, you know, F this, I'm not, you know, I'm not racing anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. This is, this is stupid because I have a family and I have a wife and, you know, I want to be there for them. And, you know, this is fun and all, but it's not, not worth dying for. And after that, I had just had, I had about a year of just PTSD, like had a really hard time running and um, I still ran, but not. You know, I think I ran only 3000 miles that year. So for me, that's like really low. I was, uh, you know, people say, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm just out here faking it because I I hate this. I don't even want to run right now. But like it was Wait, it's such before you move on. So can you explain how you got off the mountain? How did you get out of the situation? Well, so I mean, so mudslides going on and I would literally have to like hold on to a tree and like look for the next tree and then kind of slide down to it, grab a hold of it. And then like, you know, progress down this mountain, like for, you know, two or three miles, like down a very steep mountain with mud and everything flowing around me, cliffs on the side, they had these like signs with like skull and crossbones, like basically like if you go that way, you're going to die. And the mud's trying to push us off these cliffs. And I think I fell like 27 times. And I'm, I'm talking like hard falls where you're then getting pushed down a mountain with mud, you know, and, and you don't know what's going to happen. And there's broken no trees you. all yeah, well, I mean, other other runners with headlamps and stuff, but we're in the dark, and when it's raining, and it's it was foggy. So, like, what happens to a headlamp when it's foggy? Like, you can't see shit, right? It's like it just reflects the fog. So visibility is low. Um, all these little trees were breaking, and they were like they were basically making like spears that were like sticking up in the ground, and like you know, I'm worried I'm going to fall and impale myself on them. I mean, it was just like the worst case scenario. And, you know, after like seven hours of very slowly working my way down this mountain, I get to the bottom and then I had to run like another seven miles to the aid station. Oh. And, you know, it was just like this death shuffle. I'm, you know, I have a great picture of myself uh, that some photographer took where I just definitely, you know, my, my, my catchphrase is smile or you're doing it wrong. I was definitely not smiling. I was definitely like, looked like, like, you know, I'd just seen you know, my, my future. And it was not very bright. And I got to that aid station and I was just like, I'm done. I'm not going back out. And then they ended up canceling the race because conditions were so bad, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, those seven miles. I was just like, I'm not running anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. And, uh, you know, I mean, I obviously couldn't quit running cause it's a huge part of my life, but it took me a, a while to really, uh, fall back in love with it. Um, so it, so it took you seven hours. This is during the mudslide. 
to descend on the mountain. Now, like what is going through your head as soon as you see the mudslide roll in initially? Did you see, like, was it a gradual progression? Like, did you see this? I I, I was, I was like really worried because I knew we had a really long downhill. So you start calculating, well, how long is this going to take me? You know, I'm trying to find areas where I can, where it's not mudslide, you know? And so like the, the trail that was once a trail that you're supposed to be following down, that's gone. So now it's just like a side of a mountain with a cliff to your left. And you're just, you're basically like, okay, uh, I, I just got to get down this thing. And, you know, I know it's downhill, so I'm just going to aim that direction. And you could see other little headlamps around and just, just trying to get down it. I mean, there was no trail, there was no anything, just trees and mud. Um, so you had a moment where you were like, Andy. I'm in the middle of fucking Japan and I'm going to have to descend through this fucking mudslide. What am I doing out here? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a, I went into like survival mode, like literally like, you know, adrenaline shaking, like, you know, every time I'd let go of one of those trees and try to slide to another tree, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, am I going to fall? Am I going to like, and I'm talking, it's steep. I'm not talking like a, like a, you know, gradual trail down a mountain. I'm talking like at times 20, 30% grade, where you're like, you got to sit on your butt sometimes to slide to the next tree because you can't even stand. Um, it was, it was like, it was terrifying. I, I legitimately I thought I was going to die. And um, I don't say that lightly, like, oh yeah, you know, like when you're in a, a car accident or something, you, you see your life flash before your eyes. Like, no, I, I was in a long traumatic, you know, where if, if anything went wrong, I could have like, severely been injured or, or, or died. And that, you know, that touches your soul a little bit. Um, and it took me, you know, quite a while to get over that. So now you're also a firefighter, right? Yeah. So, so how I mean, do you, I, how do you compartmentalize th- things like that now? I'm sure. Well, you see I mean, some stuff I mean, on the normally, job. Normally my PTSD from work, I deal with by running. I mean, that's, so that was like the other hard part is like, I've always dealt with, any sort of post-traumatic stress through, through running. And then I couldn't really find the joy of running. So it couldn't really help me with the, the PTSD from the mountain. So it was like, I think, I mean, I ended up like focusing a lot on my work. Um, at the time, like I put all my energy into like a promotional exam and I ended up like getting promoted. So like I took all the energy that I was putting into running at the time and and studied and studied and studied and just focused on that and then ended up getting uh, a promotion. So, I mean, I, I turned a negative into a positive, but um, at work, like, I mean, I, you know, people are always like, well, why, why do you run so much? Like, you know, and I, a lot of it is like, I, I, I'm always trying to turn my brain off because, uh, you know, I see a lot of very disturbing things and, I'm under a lot of like really high stress situations uh, at times. And the only way I can, like, like you said, compartmentalize that is to, to go run it out. Something about long distance running. There's like a click in my brain when I just stop thinking about all of that stuff and it's just so freeing and I, and I, and I love it. So um, yeah, it works for me and I, I think it works for other people too, but uh, you know, it's better than, you know, a lot of firefighters and police officers and military, you know, they turn to alcohol or drugs or, you know, things like that. And for me, I can turn my brain off with a good run. So 
That is an insane story. <laughs> yeah. I didn't talk about it for a long time either. It was like so traumatic. I didn't even write about it on social media. I, I think I just wrote like, yeah, the race didn't go as I you know, wanted, but it was like literally so true. I didn't even write a race report um, because, well, one, I, I knew that it was like ingrained in my brain forever. So a lot of times I write race reports so that I can look back and remember what I did like 10 years ago, but like, I will never forget that race. So I'm good on that level. Do you have any other experiences like that in high stress situations during races? Have you ever uh, been attacked by something or like an animal chase after you? No, no. I mean, I, I've, I fell once and knocked myself out um, and then had to run eight miles out. I got a pretty bad concussion. That wasn't so fun. I mean, bad water was a pretty traumatic experience because my whole body basically cramped up for like two hours. Um, and I couldn't stop it no matter how much salt or water or mustard or, you know, every trick in the book I did, like I was in full cramp, like, you know, when your calf cramps and you, you can't get it to stop. It was like that for like my entire body. And it was one of the more painful things that's ever happened to me. Um, but I think that's it. One, one time, I mean, it's not an ultra, but I do a lot of like long distance backpacking and I was out off off trail. We have this trail in California called the High Sierra Trail, which is a, a trail, but it's not a trail. It's kind of like um, an idea. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you go through certain areas, but there's no trail. Um, and I I was hiking through like a huge talus field, and my pole broke, and I fell forward and cracked my head open, and like profusely bled everywhere, and <laughs> then had to climb like three or four 13,000 foot passes to get out. And every time I, you know, climb them, my head would start bleeding again. And, um, you know, that was, that was a little dramatic too. I have, I, I normally have a spot device on me, but at the time I felt like I could self-extricate. So I did, but, uh, yeah, I mean the, the Japan one's the only one where I think I really felt like I was gonna like die. I mean, being in pain is, is one thing, but like really feeling like you're going to die is something, something different. Well, so. I, I reminisce on the cold water was my first hundred. And I think like, I was so delusionally fucked up, like mile, like 75 to like 95. And there was like no real aid out there. And I was thinking if I didn't have a pacer, I could very well be out here and an animal could easily come up on me and like take advantage of me, attack me. You don't right. have to think that way. Like, dude, like, like one of those coyotes could have literally just tore my throat out and swallowed it if it wanted. Yeah. I mean, we have mountain lions and bears out where I live. And I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be a real big fan to like run into one of those, but um, most animals are scared of us. So especially with a headlamp and, you know, they can hear the music and our headphones or whatever and the stomping. Most of them aren't going to like, try to attack us i'm more scared of like stepping on a rattlesnake or something like that than black widow spider yeah or, i mean just anything other than a large animal attacking me um if it happens like you know it's so rare it'd be like well it'd be a cool story at least i'd die with a cool story everyone could say hey remember that ultra runner guy andy you know he got eaten by a mountain lion i mean cool way to die i guess yeah, like the guy who survived the mudslide. It was the the little teeny itsy bitsy black widow spider that got him. 
Right, right. Yeah. Well, um, I think uh, I think what would be cool is for at least just people to hear is how you balance being a full-time firefighter and then also just logging these ridiculous amounts of miles. So like, what does a day look like for you normally? Okay. Um, so part of the uh, mental illness of running long miles is that I wake up every morning, like around two 30 um, AM and I have like a, you know, a sort of start routine that I do of breakfast and, coffee and everything. And, um, it's kind of like my time to like, I browse social media and do like kind of wake up. And then I, I run super early in the morning while like my family's asleep and, uh, try to get back, um, in the afternoonish time, like not after, I guess, early mo- or, or late morning. Um, what is that mileage wise in the morning? I mean, I mean, it depends. I, if I'm home, I try to get like over 20, like 20 to 30. And then if I'm at work, it just, it, it varies because, you know, people call 911 24-7. So um, I try to, you know, at work, like we're allowed to like work out till about 9.30. So if I start early in the morning with calls and everything, I try to get maybe like if I'm lucky, I get like 15 miles. So it's like, I'll run a couple miles. We'll get a call. We'll go run the call. I'll come back, run a couple more miles. We'll get a call. Uh, and I'll just do that kind of off and on until nine 30. And then we're allowed to run or exercise after five. So then I'll go for another run after five. And normally at work, my goal is like, just like 20 miles a day. Like if I, if I can get 20 miles a day, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. It doesn't always happen. Some days I get more. Um, and then obviously sometimes I get less, but normally if I get 20, I'm happy. Um, and then when I'm home, I do the same thing. I run in the evening, like, um, like once the kids eat dinner and like, they're kind of like winding down to go to bed, I'll go for another run. And, you know, depending on how many miles I got in the morning will depend on how many miles I get in the evening. And so in that work, it's all road miles, correct? Yeah. And it's terrible. It's like, I have to stay very close to the fire station and I have to run with a radio and I have to listen to radio traffic. So there's no way for me to like disengage. I have to be like engaged and running and I'm running like a very small loop around the station. So it's, it's more of like a mental monotony type thing, which I think helps me in ultra running, but you know, it's, it's just feeding the addiction really. Um, and then at home, you know, I can obviously, I, I have a whole series of trails all around my house. I have some local mountains that go up to 11,500 feet that I can run on. Um, and I just, I, I try to hit as many trails as possible. Are, are you doing intro run nutrition during these? Like, are you bringing goose on the run, waffle, anything like that? Uh, I mean, not at work. Um, sometimes uh, I, I kind of have this like weird thing where, uh, I don't really run with food or water um, unless I'm going over 20 miles. And unless it's like, like, I live somewhere where it gets really, really hot in the summer, like over 110 degrees Fahrenheit. So when it's that hot, I'll run with water. But um, like when it's like below 80, like 70s, 60s, whatever, I'll run with no water, no food. 
and um, no real science behind it, but I, I sort of like the bonky feeling I get um, on those runs. And I like trying to like push past them because then like when I race, I, I hydrate and feed myself like really efficiently. And so my body tends to like be super happy during races. Cause I'm like taking really good care of it. Um, but then if something happens in a race where I don't have enough calories or I don't have enough hydration, like I know what that feels like. And I'm able to like sort of dissect what's going on a little bit better because I'm used to that feeling. And then I can also like push through it because I know how to push through it because I do it in my training. Um, I wouldn't, you know, obviously I wouldn't recommend it, but it's just something I do. Um, no, I actually like to fast after I run. So I kind of understand what you're saying. Um, but isn't, is your body just craving nutrition as soon as the run's over? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I eat a huge meal after I run and, and I also, I eat a pretty good like breakfast in the morning before the run. So it's not like I'm going out fasted. It's that I'm going out for like a four hour run and I'm doing it off of however many calories I ate in the morning. So normally in the morning I have like a granola bar and then I like coat it with like a copious amount of peanut butter. And that's like my breakfast. So I get like the carbs and the fat. That's um, a tiny breakfast. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, I thought tiny. you were going to say like, I had 10 stacks of pancakes and no, glass no. Of orange juice. No, no. I mean, it's, it's high in calories though. Cause peanut butter is super high in calories and you know, so it gives me enough fuel to like kind of burn through, but if I'm going like more than four hours, then yeah, I will bring food. Like when I do my mountain runs and everything, because that just takes a, a totally different level of uh, energy. And and I definitely don't want to run out of energy on the mountain. I bring food. Yeah. So. So, and then how many hours a night do you normally sleep if you're waking up at 2.30? Uh, four and a half, somewhere around there. <laughs> yeah. You're a specimen, yeah. man. That is crazy. Now, um, wouldn't recommend that either, but you know, I mean, you, you, your body gets used to whatever you, you give it, you know? So, and, and being a firefighter and like normally at work, I'm up all night. So if I'm at work, sometimes like, um, I will, I'll sleep in cause it's like, we're up all night and I get zero sleep. It's real hard for me to start charging again at two 30. So that's, that's part of the game at work too, is like, you know, I have to, I have to take what I can get. And at the end of the day, I, I have to give myself a little bit of sleep. So. And I'm sure you're totally on top of cycling your sneakers, like pretty all the time. Right. Yeah. I'm real. That's like a religion to me is making sure that I have good shoes and I don't put too many miles on them. I mean, at, at this point I can tell exactly when they start to feel flat, but I would say right around 400 miles, I'll cycle them out. Um, cause I can like, I can feel them not, they don't feel the same. And then I, I start to get like sore and like weird spots when the shoes start to go flat and it, you know, it could be psychosomatic, but it also could be like, I'm always like scared. I'm going to get injured, you know, get like an overuse injury or something like that. So as soon as I start to feel that I'll, I'll put a new pair of shoes on. So let me do the math here. So that, so you use two pair, two different pairs of shoes a month for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I did the math and it's like, I think I went through like 21 or 22 pairs of shoes last year. 
something like that. We gotta get the thing is, is like I have trail shoes and I have road shoes. So sometimes like, you know, I put more miles on road shoes, but because uh, most of our trails out here are pretty, pretty nice. I don't need like the the grippy, you know, trail shoe. Um, but I also, you know, use them too. So I kind of go back and forth. Now your hokas for your road shoes, are you something else for the trail? Yeah, I, I mean, I use Clifton's for like road and like mostly buffed out trail. Like I, I ran cold water in Clifton's, which was just a road shoe. And I ran, I just did Rocky Raccoon last weekend and I did that in, in uh, Clifton's. Um, like races like UTMB or like, uh, you know, Angeles Crest or Kodiak, which are all like mountain races. Then I'll, I'll use the Challenger, Hoka Challenger, which is just got more grip. Um, it's got more rock protection and whatnot. So um, there's a lot more really, really steep uphill and really, really steep downhill in mountain races. So having a little bit more grip is better. And then, you know, if there's any sort of mud or anything like that, you don't want to be in like a slick bottom Clifton because that would be, you know, it'd be like skiing. Now, was that a problem for you during the cold water running the road shoe? Because there's so many like big rocks. Yeah, but I mean, that style of trail is like what I train on, you know, because okay. I live in like a desert environment. So that's like, that's my wheelhouse. Um, and I've run cold water three times. So I, I know that trail, uh, you know, I spent hundreds of miles on that trail. So I know it really, really well. And I know what to expect and where to, you know, where to push it and what sections are like technical and you got to slow down and what sections you can like, you know, unleash a little speed. So, so just from hearing you out here, it seems like UTMB is kind of like your Holy grail race. Like that's your super bowl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty fantastic race. Um, I hope, I hope I'm going back this year, you know, I, I got in. So unless, you know, I, this whole COVID thing is always sort of a disaster for international travel, but uh, assuming that you know, there's not any more lockdowns or anything like that. I hope to go back and race it in the end of August for the third time. Um, so, yeah, is all, so are all your other 100-mile races kind of just training leading up to UTMB? Is that where you're at mentally? Uh, no. I mean, when I train for UTMB, what I'll do is I'll go to, like, my local mountains, and I'll just run up and down them as many times as I can. It'll be more like a training like that. Uh, the hundred miles I'm doing now are just kind of just for fun because we haven't got a race in so long that it feels good to go out and like, you know, push myself in the, like the hundred mile realm again. Um, but yeah, when you train for something like UTMB, you have to sort of mimic what you're going to be doing. Um, like we have a mountain couple hours from me that's like 14,000 feet and um a lot of times what I'll, I'll do is I'll drive there and there's like a parking lot and I'll just I'll sleep in the my car and I'll just run to the top of that mountain and back down like as many times as I can like if I need to take a nap or like eat or whatever I'll just do it out of my car and it's like uh I think it's like 10 miles up 10 miles down with uh like probably about 6,000 feet of vert. And then, like I said, going from going to 10,000 feet or 14,000 feet. So um, that's the type of, you know, I bring poles and 
because there's some really steep stuff and just really work on, you know, running up and down very steep stuff. So um, distance, like in a mountain race like UTMB, being able to run 100 miles is, is, is not as important as like being able to climb like really steep things and then descend really steep things. Because uh, like everyone thinks it's like the uphill that's the hard part in a race like that, but it's actually the downhill because uh, the downhill will blow your quads out. And if you've ever been running a mountain 100 mile race and your quads go out, you, you're going to have like a really, really rough day, um, which of course has happened to me because <laughs> I've had a lot of bad things happen to me in ultras. So um, yeah, so I, I try to train that downhill muscle group like pretty extensively before going and doing any um, hard hundred that's in the, in the mountains. I saw a really awesome video on YouTube. It was a documentary with this runner who runs with Red Bull called Dylan Bowman. And it's some French race. Have you heard? I don't, I forget its name. What is it called? Do you know? It's like is it, super is it technical. That, is that the French pass or something like that? I, I don't know. Um, it's up. not, it's not the tour of giants. Is it toward it? I can't even speak French, but it's like, it's not the 250 mile one. Is it? Let me look it up real quick. And speaking of, as I'm looking this up, have you done Moab yet? No, it gets so hard because it's like right in the middle of fire season. Um, it's really all, all Candace's races are like the worst time in the world for like being a firefighter. That's why Cocodona was so awesome. Cause it's like in May and or is, is it May or March? I, th I think it's May, but like whenever it was, it's like not in fire season. And so it's like easy for me to get the time off, but all Candace's races like Bigfoot, uh, Tahoe and Moab are like right when the whole state of California is on fire and it's so hard for me to get time off work. So, so is, is Moab on your list at some point? Yeah. I mean, I, I, anything hard and long like that, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to do and try, you know, um, Cocodona was my first 200 mile race and I did terrible at it, but I finished it. So, um, like anything, I'll go back and try to improve my time and learn. I, I learned a lot of important lessons, but, um, you know, I'm not going to say I did like amazing, like I thought I was going to do or anything like that. Like it was a disaster of a race, but, uh, you know, I finished it. So a lot of people can't say that. So I, I guess I got that going for me. Yeah. For anyone listening, Cocodona is like a brand new race that era Vipa puts on. That's a 250 mile race through like a good portion of Arizona. And essentially a lot of the aid stations are at small little towns, right? Like these little pop-up towns yeah. in the middle of the desert. Exactly. It was like 257 miles with like 40,000 feet of vert and very, very technical. Um, probably one of the most technical races I've ever run. So adding technicality and then 250 miles, like that's, it's a struggle on your legs. So now what is the sleep schedule like for you over the course of those three, four days? So it took me five days. Um, it, it was, a, it was a crazy, they, they gave us five days and five hours to finish it. And they thought everyone was going to finish a lot sooner. I think nobody finished until day four, like the guy that won it, finished on day four. And then most of the pros finished at the end of day four, like in the hundred something hour range. And then I finished in 119 hours 
and I slept a total of nine hours. So not very much sleep for five days. How are you, how are you feeling at the end of it? Delusional. I, I mean, I lost a ton of weight and I was, yeah, I was pretty wrecked. That was, <laughs> it was an experience. Yeah. I basically would run for like 22 hours a day uh, until I started hallucinating so bad. And then I would take like a two hour nap and then get up and do it again. And uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty, pretty wild. Where did you so, really start falling apart? At what point? Well, I mean, the problem was at mile five, I uh, like basically tore my hamstring. I tripped. Oh yeah. You were really telling bad. me this. Yeah. And I tripped and I, like like tore it so it that changed my whole ability to like move rapidly and um yeah it just it threw my whole game off it, it changed my gait it changed how i approached downhills and things that i would normally be able to like tackle like no problem was a challenge so um yeah i, I mean the whole the race kind of fell apart at mile five and i still had 252 miles to go so, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just made it happen. I mean, I, I was hell bent on making it happen. Um, and I did, I, I wanted to learn a lot. I, I'd done a three day loop course before and I got 230 miles, but you know, that's a lot different. Cause I was just kind of running flat stuff. And, you know, anytime I wanted to take a break, I'd go and just take a nap. But now this was like, this was serious. So I learned how to take dirt naps. That was my first race where I ever like would lay down and sleep for like 10 minutes. I'd put my alarm on my chest or my phone on my chest at the alarm. And then like, it would wake me up 10 minutes later and I'd get up and start running again. So, and I did it uh, like hundred percent solo with no help. So that was a whole other challenge too, because I had to rely mostly on aid stations and drop bags and, you know, if I didn't have the right things in the drop bags and, you know, I just had to make it work. So there were a couple of very, very cold nights where I didn't have, you know, proper warm gear and, and got very cold. So. That is insane, man. I'm a, I just did the Google search. The name of the race is the Grand Raid. Hmm. I don't know. There's so many races in Europe. Europe is like you go to Europe and they have a TV channel that is all ultra runs and kind of like, I don't know if you followed black Canyon this last weekend, but uh, the way Jamal is uh, like putting his era Viper races on YouTube and like, kind of like live footage of people running. That's how like all European races are. And they literally have a channel that just plays these ultra races on it. Kind of like ESPN for ultra running. It's a big deal out there. And they have a you know a lot of very unique races that that are going on. So, but I, I can't keep track of them all. There's so many. So, what is your like uh, like your checklist? What what is it you still want to get done in the sport? Uh, I mean, if I had like a you know, I, I would love to do Hard Rock. Um, you know, part of me wants to do Western States, but I haven't entered the lottery in a long time because I kind of got burnt out on losing and so i just gave up um but you know if for somehow i you know maybe i'll start entering again and try to try to run that race just because it's like you know the first hundred or whatever but uh hard rock i'd love to do that um 
I, I think it would be interesting to try to get into Barkley at some point, but uh, that'd be further into the future. And I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I kind of take it year by year and just see where I'm at and what, what, what comes up, you know, all these new races are showing up and it's kind of exciting to, to try to do them. Like I'm doing UTMB Mexico this year and it's like the first year that they're ever doing it. And uh, I'm kind of excited to do that. Like a hundred mile race in Mexico. Like, I mean, assuming I don't get taken by drug cartels, it should be like a pretty fun time running through the Mexican jungle. Um, if China ever opens it back up to ultra running, like I love running out there. Um, I'd like to do, there's that Hong Kong race out there where they, they run in Hong Kong. And basically I just love traveling internationally. So I guess my long-term goals would be to do as many international races as possible and turn them into like little mini vacations for me and my wife. Like, Hey honey, we're going to go to Hong Kong. Okay. By the way, I'm going to run a hundred miles where we're yeah. then afterwards we can hit the spa and have fun or whatever. So have you been with your wife through the development of your, your running career or did this start while you were with her? So, um, I just started doing hundred mile races when we first started dating. So, um, so yeah, she's been through all the, like the crazy ultra stuff I'd done for a couple of years before I did hundreds, I did 50 Ks, 50 milers, hundred Ks. Um, like it was a slow progression before I started doing like the straight hundred mile race. So, but she started dating me right when I first started running hundreds. So she's, she's seen most of the craziness. Um, so she's so a yeah, real she, one, man. She just, yeah, she, she, she knew what she was getting, she knew what she was getting herself into and now she's, you know, stuck. So, um, <laughs> but you know, most of these races I, I do solo and, I do them uncrewed. She'll come crew me sometimes, but uh, um, I kind of like being solo more than I like being crewed because it makes it a little bit more challenging and it makes me really have to focus on like taking care of myself and thinking about where I'm at in the race and what I need to accomplish, um, which I guess makes me focus a little bit more. But uh I mean, when I first started running them, I was always crude and paced and all that stuff. But as I've progressed in the sport, it becomes more fun just to be by myself and like have it be me versus me and, you know, be working through all the problems by myself. I don't know it's, it, if that makes sense. No, I know what you're saying. Do you have to, like when you set your schedule for the week, I know it probably is totally fly by night with you, but do you set up set time aside? Like, all right, I got to spend some time with my wife and my kids, or is that just also like day by day type thing? No, I mean, I mean, the, like the whole, like if it's a weekend, then I'll, I'll finish my run kind of when everyone's waking up so that I'll have like the whole morning into the afternoon with them. And then I don't run again until the evening when like the day's kind of over. Um, my night run is normally shorter. So like, uh, you know, if my wife and I are going to go on a date or something like that, then it's like, you know, I just won't run as far that evening. It's not like really not that big a deal. So, um, I, I because I wake up at two 30, I can always get enough miles in the morning that I don't really ever need to worry about the evening. Um, so the evenings is kind of like bonus miles to add to the stack. So, 
but I haven't not really had that issue. Um, and then it's like when I have a lot of times when I do these hundreds, like I'm running a hundred on Saturday and I'm literally like tomorrow I'm driving out to Vegas. I'm going to like spend the night in a hotel, wake up, run the hundred miler, hopefully finish sometime in two or three in the morning, get in my car, drive back to California. And then I'll be home in the morning to like hang out with the wife. So. That's a good segue yeah. though. So what are, what are your uh, anticipations for the jackpot? And can you kind of explain what the race is? Sure. Um, so jackpot is put on by um, uh, Beyond Limits uh, Ultra. It's like a, it's a husband and wife team, Ken and Stephanie, and they're really, really awesome people. And they put on great races. They're great race directors and good friends of mine. And um, it's in a park in Henderson, which is like a suburb of Las Vegas. And you basically, I think it's two miles, but I've done it so many times now. I'm like second guessing. Maybe it's two and a half miles. Maybe it's two and a quarter. But you basically run around this lake uh, in this park, you know, however many times it takes to get 100 miles or whatever your goal is. They have, I think, three days, two days, one day, 100 mile, and maybe they have shorter distances too. Um, and then they also have tomorrow they're having like the, some sort of championship race where there's like a $10,000 prize and all the pros are coming out to try to run it. And, uh, era Vipa is actually going to be live broadcasting it, which will be kind of exciting. Like, you know, all the top women and men ultra runners will be out there trying to get that $10,000. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's a looped course. So basically it's, it's kind of like uh, nice because you don't have to carry anything because I, I basically set a cooler up with my food and every two miles I come by it and all my food and everything's there. And if I need it, I'll eat something. And if I don't, I just keep running another loop. And then when I come back to my cooler, if I need more food, that's right there. And then they also have like a really big aid station at the start finish line. So, you know, it's really, I come to food and water every one mile because I can get it at that age station too. So, um, it's kind of, it's like, a a great first ultra. Like if you want to dip your toe in the ultra world, those are like super safe and super easy. Well, not easy, but easier because you don't necessarily need to have like the backpack and all the gear and, you know, all that stuff. You'll never because- be alone. Yeah. And you're, and there's just hundreds of people on the course and everyone's, you know, encouraging everybody. And, um, you know, you can always find somebody that's going at your pace and you can like, you know, run with them or walk with them or whatever, and just, you know, enjoy yourself. So, but yeah, since it's my birthday, I normally run like a hundred miles on my birthday. And this race is lined up with my birthday for the last several years. So it's, it's kind of like, it's, you know, not my ideal ultra, but like at the same time, it's fun and it's my birthday and, you know, I, I'm just going to go out there and have a good time. So you're in the, the midst of your taper right now. So most people's taper, they don't run at all, but you what, just peel back on mileage to like 10% or 20%? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I've, I've run, I don't know, 50 uh, something miles so far this week. So I guess like maybe, yeah, peel it back, like maybe about 50%. And what'd you do today? 
I've done 10 so far. Yeah. 10, 10 today. I did 11 yesterday and then I did 15 on Monday and Tuesday, but I wanted more on Monday and Tuesday, but I got too busy at work to be able to get it. So it kind of worked out because I was like, well, I'm tapering. So I'll justify it. But, uh, do you start getting yeah. itchy during your taper? Like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I hate it. I freaking hate tapering. Like when I used to taper appropriately and like you know kind of do like the two week out thing. Oh, it was the worst. So I just you know I don't. I'm not professional. I'm not sponsored. I don't care how I do. You know, if I do great, then awesome. And if I do terrible, awesome. Like it just doesn't matter to me. So I don't feel like I need to do any special preparation for running these races it's it's it, it, i don't know I, it's i would not encourage people to not taper and i would not encourage people to do what i do ever but it works for me so i'm going to keep doing it but it must be exciting for you seeing some of these ultra runners get attraction like i had uh mikhail gregley on the show who won moab and he won Badwater, and it's his full-time job like would you like to transition to that point at some point or do you think you'll always want to be a firefighter Oh, never! I'd never want to be a professional runner ever. Never, never, never. Firefighting is the best job in the world. Just, just so you know, it's, it is amazing. But um, yeah, he's he's a cool guy, and like I'm super pumped for him for like you know making that happen. He's super talented too. Uh, uh, I actually ran. I met him at a Beyond Limits race, which is this the race directors that uh, that are putting on jackpot. And he won the 24 hour race and I won the 72 hour race. So we did a lot of loops out there together. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, for me, this is just a hobby. You know, I mean, you're asking it's a crazy before, hobby, man. Well, it is. But like you're asking before, like, was I, you know, like athletic as a kid? And like on some level, but I don't think that I have any like underlying talent that, you know, people like Wamsley or, you know, anybody professional has I, i'm not i'm not like that all i have is like intense intense work ethic and like a little bit of mania know, very very yeah, mania and just consistency and just just the ability to just do hard work like every day um and and that's all that's that's what i represent really like just get out there and you don't need any talent you just need to work hard and and you know, I try to teach that to my kids and, and I try to teach that to my, my firefighters and, you know, just, it's just all really about just hard work and work ethic and consistency and, you know, talent is, is great, but most people don't have it. So I wouldn't really focus on it. If you have it and you have work ethic, then that's great. Then you're going to be incredible and you'll be on a totally different level. Like I can never pronounce his name, but you did an amazing job. Um, <laughs> Greglia. I'm not, I'm not good on Italian, but uh, yeah, those guys have the talent and the work ethic, and that's awesome. But I just have the work ethic. I hear you. I, I, I more so mean like your content is great, and it could become popular enough where you just get tons of sponsors and make tons of bread off sponsorship. Like that must be exciting. No, no, I get emails every day, and I delete them like i do not want to be sponsored i do not want to be an ambassador or sponsored or anything i make my content because um i want people to, to run and i want you know i want to like put positivity into the world and uh show people that they can accomplish things and if they put their mind to it 
And that is like my only mission when it comes to social media. I do not ever, I mean, it's not about, hey, look at these shoes or look at this view or I'm a new ambassador or whatever. Like, I don't ever want to be that person. Um, I make plenty of money being a firefighter and I don't need to be, I don't need free shoes. I don't need free food and I don't need anything free. So, um, yeah, my my content is just the butterfly effect of trying to encourage people to exercise and be positive. And I hope that by making funny little videos and videos about the crazy stuff that I do, that maybe it motivates and encourages people to go do that in their own lives. But I don't want to make a buck off of it that way. Even if Hoka hit you up and they said, all right, man, you don't have to buy any more like two pairs of shoes a month here. Never. I, I never would ever now. I, I mean, I've been hit up by a lot of companies. I don't want to like drop names, but like a lot of, I mean, I get a lot, a lot of emails, but you know, and I, it's not going to happen. So I just, that's you know, awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not a NASCAR and I don't, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that are sponsored and I, and I love that they're sponsored and that's great. But at the same time, like, I'm not going to be like, you know, if I use a product, it's because I like it. And if I tell you I use it, it's because I like it, but not because some corporation is giving me something so that I, you know, it's the genuine, I like it. And this is what I use. Not, you know, I'm, I'm getting it for free from some company. So, and then, then it, you know, on a, just a total like separate rant, you know, I have friends that are like way more talented than me. Like, I don't know if you know who Jake Jackson is, but he's like just an incredible runner. And, um, he's one of those like 24 hour runners that does like 168 miles around the track. He's on like the U S 24 hour team and everything. And he was like an ambassador to Hoka and they dropped him because he doesn't have enough followers, you know? And it's like, that's crazy to me because he's like an incredible athlete, but it's like, if you don't have enough followers and you don't, you know, play the game, right then these companies just like throw you away like you're a piece of trash. And that like pisses me off, honestly. Um, I have followers and that's cool, but like, I hope they realize that, that, that I'm not like trying to sell them anything other than running this fun. I think one cool thing you could do is at some point host a race. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have thought about putting together some like cool fat ass races. Um, and in, in my local mountains and stuff. And then I've also like, I'm not necessarily opposed to like doing like charity things where I like try to raise money for like charities. I do a lot of those sort of charity race type things where my miles get uploaded. On and, Strava, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'll do stuff like that, but um, if it's for a good cause, I'll do it. But you know, I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to make a buck or save a buck, you know, from some corporation. I'm a punk rocker at heart. So down with corporations, I'm not going to be a corporate whore and I'm going to stay true to my, my beliefs and keep my integrity intact. I too am an, an F corporate guy. I've never, went corporate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. never, never will brother. Yeah. So I think there's a lot and, of that you know, out there on the trails too. Yeah. Well, and I, like I said, I have a lot of friends that, that do it and I, I'm not judging them. I think it's great that, that they can get free stuff, but I'm lucky enough to be in a financial situation where 
I don't need that. You know, I worked hard in my career so that I can buy shoes if I want to, and I can buy a nice watch if I want to, and I don't need to get it for free. So I set myself up for success on that level and, you know, I'm going to embrace it. Now, closing out real quick, what do you rock for a watch? Uh, I've, I've always rocked Garmin and that's like, uh, right now I just got the new Phoenix seven X. Um, I love the Phoenix series because it's like a, like, like a mountaineering type watch. And I do a lot of backpacking and mountaineering. So it makes my life a lot easier, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've always been a Garmin fanboy, and, uh, you know, I, I, I wish I could find all my old Garmin's cause it's like, you know, the first Garmin GPS watch was like this big. And I used to have to like put it out on my porch for like 30 minutes so it could pick up the satellites and everything. And now they're like little and light. Really? Yeah. This thing's got like solar glass that like takes the sun in and charges the battery and it's, it's wild, but, uh, yeah. Um, this last race I did, was like, uh, everybody is obsessed with battery life, which I get, I mean, it's important in an ultra, but I, I, I used 20% of my battery in my hundred mile race. That's so that insane. was kind of cool. Yeah. So the batteries are definitely getting like way, way better. Um, so but I also, you know, I remember when I used to have to bring a battery pack and like at mile 50, I would plug my watch in and like run with it charging for like 10 miles so that I could get like the whole Strava segment on 100 miler. So, you know, Dude, I know technology my 100. and it's cool, but I can remember the old school days too. Yeah, I was going to say during the cold water, my watch died at 94 miles. You know how uh, bad I oh, did. Kill me. Just bless me with that Strava data, man. Damn. Yeah, I know what 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 watch do you use? I was using the Coros Apex too, but I, I mean, I guess it was like the heat or the cold that just sucked the life out of it. Yeah, that cold. The batteries like have a hard time with the cold. I use those um, the aftershocks ear uh, headphones. Mm-hmm. Have you ever have you ever tried those? Are those JBLs? No, they're like Aftershocks is the brand, but they're bone conducting. So they sit on your temples. So you can still use your ears. I have never you know, heard of that. Oh, they're so awesome. So like when you're running, you can still use your ears and hear everything that's going around. But like the music goes through your bone. Anyways, um, same thing. Like anytime it gets really, really cold because it has that lithium battery, they just die so fast. And it's like so frustrating. But, you know, that's just a lithium battery for you. I'm going to look those up, the Aftershocks. It's with a Z. It's like Aftershock with a Z. Got it. Yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, I had a great time, man. I appreciate you doing this. Yeah. And, hey, I'm sorry about all the scheduling conflicts and getting force hired and all this stuff. But uh, thanks for being accommodating to my fire schedule. No problem whatsoever. And I wish you the best of luck at Jackpot. And um, happy birthday. Oh, thank you so much. Now, the one thing I do before we end the episode, just for content, you got to say, hi, my name is blank. And this is my golden hour. Okay. And my fault. The floor is yours. Okay. Okay. Hi, my name is Andy Glaze. And this is my golden hour. Bang. You got it. Well executed. And I'll, uh, when we get off the Zoom here, I'll get your address so I can shoot you a shirt. Okay, perfect. I appreciate it. 
All right, brother. Hey, it was great to meet you and best of luck. Thank you so much. All right, man. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter.